Hello, hockey fans. Welcome to another episode of the Vegas Hockey Podcast. I'm Mark Warner along with Chris Lisa. We've got a great guest today. Jamie Thomas from Winnipeg Jets TV is joining us to talk about the Winnipeg Jets. We're going to be talking about Mark Stone's impact on the Vegas Golden Knights as they've gone 5-0 and since the acquisition at the trade deadline. We're going around the league. We're going to look at uh, some Eastern Conference playoff matchups as well. So we've got a really good show. Stay tuned. All right, hockey fans, thank you for joining us this Saturday morning. We've got a lot to get to. Let me welcome in Chris out on Long Island. Chris, how are you this day, sir? All right, let's try that again. Chris, you, good day to you. We're doing sir. well. There good you day are. to you. How are we doing over there? Oh, we had a little internet issue. We were a little slow getting connected. It wanted to boot me out a couple times, but we're here. We're back, uh, back in the main main studio, and it's not really working too well. But we're going to get through it. Um, doing good out there? Uh, no complaints. Sunny and forty-five, so uh, no complaints. Hey, hey, hey! Better than, uh, than a few inches of snow early in the week, so. Uh, no, no complaints at all, and yeah, and the and the Knights, no complaints there. They've, I mean, look, they haven't played any of the big boys uh, again um, recently, but you can Calgary. Only, you can only play. Oh, that's true. Calgary right, counts. I that back. There you go. Calgary. My big my win bad. on Wednesday night. My bad. Big win on Wednesday night. And Dallas has and Dallas has been playing well, and that was one of the games in the streak. Dallas seems yes, to be sir? up and down, but we'll get we'll get to that later. But um. A uh, nice five-game uh, winning streak going. Um, you know, uh, a bit of separation from Arizona, who's also playing really good, my Yotes. But, um, yeah, you know, yeah, they just got to keep, keep on keeping on. They have, um, you know, uh, they have a three-game road trip, a weird three-game road trip. They play yes. uh, Vancouver in Vancouver tonight, in Calgary tomorrow, and then I take it they'll go home, and then they ha- then they go to Dallas next Friday. So Four days off. Um, they got – Four days off, so yeah, you can't you can't complain. They trail San Jose uh, by nine points, if I have that correct. Although, yes, sir. Uh, I, and Calgary by ten, so it's looking pretty likely uh, they're going to be the three seed. But they have a they have a nice cushion, so they don't have to go pedal to the metal, which we'll talk about another issue with that in this segment. But um, um, yeah, and Mark Stone, even though he hasn't scored his first goal yet, he's you know he's contributing, and that's the thing about these trades, right? And I think why certain teams are you know when you're in the crunch, let's say like Columbus, which we'll also get to later, is um, it's such a small sample size. Vegas, given the position that they're in, uh, they have the luxury, if you will, of kind of Mark Stone just kind of settling in instead of you know every every game, every point being do or die. No, that's true, and he has made an impact, even though he has two assists in the five games. Um, yeah. Noticeable impact on the power play. The puck is moving um, maybe better at any time this season. He, he, he In facilitating uh, offense on the power play. Uh, defensively, uh, what they've said about um, his, his being in passing lanes, taking up space, occupying defenders and forwards from the other team, um, all of that, all of that has proven true in his first five games. Um, he he's breaking up plays, coming at 
Mark Andre Fleury, uh, the 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 stick that you know that a lot of people came to town that he had one of the best defensive sticks in the National Hockey League for a forward, and that's proving true. Um, he's bottling things up. Uh, the line changes. The the Carlson Marshall Smith line has has remained the same, but they've moved Tuck back um, to play with Eakin and Stone settled in on the right side of Stassi and Pacioretty with Peary and Carpenter uh, pretty much not taking turns, but splitting time there on the left wing with Cody Eakin and then Carrier uh, with an injury and, and, and Nosek being scratched. Uh, Carpenter seeing time on the fourth line with Reeves and Belmar. Um, so still still a little lineup, still a little settling into Jargalon uh, uh, has to do to, you know, he's trying his, his bottom six, lineups to see what he can get out of them against different competition and how he matches up. Um, they've, they've, they've added to their depth on the right wing. You might, a lot of people would say that they have some of the best right wing play now in the national hockey league depth wise with Smith and stone and tuck one, two, three, and then Reeves pl- playing his role on the fourth line. Um, it's pretty potent stable of right wingers and Marshall Pacioretty on the left side with, with uh, you know, a combination of, of different players on the third line and fourth line playing that left wing slot. Good depth down the middle. Now um, everything still to be decided, but you can see the, the growth of the team from game to game and, and how Stone is fitting in, and he's fitting in very well. And, and the, the other thing I want to say is the other line that's been impacted is the, the Carlson line. Um so much defensive presence has to be expended uh, by the opposition to defend against the Pacioretty line. And Pacioretty had had a, a real nice streak since Stone came over. He's he's upped his energy level uh, noticeably. Um, he's paying off in the score sheet as well. So that's good to see out of Pacioretty. But Carlson, Marceau, and Smith, um, the maybe not getting as much defensive attention. Uh, Smith has come out of his shell. He's got three games, three goals in the five games, Marshall and Smith, both carrying, uh, I believe four or five assists each. So the, the first line is benefiting from, from the stone acquisition as well. So uh, right, right now, like you say, it's, it's, it's against, except for the Calgary game, you're playing non-playoff teams and Dallas was a nice one as well. But, um, the Calgary game I'd like to talk a little bit about, Chris. I don't know if you got to see any of it. There was a sequence. I didn't, unfortunately. And, yeah, and and this is this is what you like to see, and this makes this this encourages me. There was a play at 1941 of the second period where uh, Matthew Kachuk came skating down backwards and purposely ran his backside right into Mark Andre Fleury. Player to him was Colin Miller, and that's the second time Dallas ran at Marc-Andre Fleury as well and paid the price for that. Um, and C- Colin Miller took Kachuk right down and and defended the space. Uh, I didn't quite do enough in my opinion, but still did something. Uh, Kachuk was able to get back up, get loose, and, and then run at Marc-Andre Fleury for whatever reason. Um, Fleury got out of the scrum, and, and it turned into a, a melee there at the end of that second period. Um Riddick, the goaltender for Calgary, skated out to the blue line as if inviting Flurry to come on down. And 
Flurry threw his glove off and, and skated out to the ice and said, come on, let's do it. And Riddick stood still passing on what, you know, goalie fights um, usually you skate up to the center ice line. And if, if you're willing to do it, um, you answer the bell. And for whatever reason, Riddick skated out and then declined the opportunity. Um, but it, it was all around, we're not taking this from Kachuk. We're going to defend Marc-Andre Fleury at all costs. Um, late, later on, uh, Nate Schmidt was asked what he thought about it. And Nate Schmidt said, nobody was going to touch, touch Marc-Andre Fleury. I would have tackled anybody in sight, including Riddick. Uh, that wasn't going to happen with Nate Schmidt on the ice. And Galan also said, we don't need to see flower fighting. He needs to be stopping pucks. But it, it, it's those kind of moments in a, in a season that hasn't been, um, all, all pork chops and applesauce, if you will, um, to have to have a, a group come together like that and, and and play for each other and then go on and get a victory against the first place team in the division, um, win or lose that game, that's what you like to see out of your team, and they responded against Dallas. They responded in a big way against Calgary, and after after tonight, I expect Subban to be in goal and then uh, Mark Andre Fleury to play Calgary. Um, I expect tomorrow night's game to be a very interesting contest as messages attempt to be sent both ways, uh, in possible, possible playoff matchup. Um, Calgary will ha- be on home ice. So they, they dictate when Kachuk will be on the ice. Presumably they won't put him out there against Reeves and company. Um, so it'll be Gerard Gallant's, you know, to keep an eye on things and, and, and if he needs to do some changes on the fly or whatever to keep, Kachuk in check. I, I imagine he's going to be awful fired up for this Calgary game tomorrow night, and it should have a playoff atmosphere in Calgary. So I'm looking forward to that. And then, as as we talked throughout the season with the Golden Knights, uh, Mark Andre Fleury's playing in a whole lot of hockey. So um, four four days off, sandwiched by that Calgary game on Wednesday, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, all at home, and then. Like you said, I assume they fly home from Calgary Sunday night, and then you have four days off in a row. I think that helps Mark Andre Fleury. Um, obviously, you got to get him all the rest you can right now. You, you're like you said, it doesn't have to be pedal to the metal. You don't want to go back into the doldrums you were in two weeks ago. Um, you want to be playing with a sense of urgent urgency as the playoffs get closer. And I think they're doing that, but the rest factor for Mark Andre Fleury, it is a weird road trip where you have back to back and then four days off. Um, so I think that that bodes well for Mark Andre Fleury. He can come home, he can get rest, uh, before flying to Dallas for one and then the schedule, the rest of the Western conference, um, a couple, uh, one, two more back to back. So Subban will get some more play. Um, so far in the last five games, he's really up to, up to his play. Um, I guess we'll see playoff times, how fresh he really is. But right now I, I kind of like the way the schedule is. I kind of like the way the time off is and his play lately has been outstanding. Yeah. I mean, I was just thinking with Flores concussion history, he can't be in any fights, but, um, no, that's yeah, a great point. You don't want to see that. <laughs> He he um um he has already played in 57 games and you know the the analytics community which you hear a lot about let's say per, uh, especially in baseball you know it has also a, a factor in hockey as well and and they will tell you the kind of magic number that they 
they want for games played is 55. That's the one that they circle. And they kind of say, you know, any goalie, despite the, uh, the games played log in his career or his age, really they say it behooves you if you can to keep that number at 55 or or below because the playoffs is such a long marathon if you get, you know, assuming you win round after round. So 57 is a pretty aggressive number already. And we have what most teams have, they have about what, 14, 15 games left. So, you know, I mean, I wouldn't even be opposed to, you know, seeing at, at most see Flurry play, let's say 60% of the games the rest of the way, especially if Subban can hold his own. Um, because they're going to need, let's face it, um, to beat the Sharks or to beat the Flames, and I think that will be a pretty even series, although you had have to say at this point in time slight edge to those teams because they will have that home ice advantage for whatever that's worth, which I I don't think it's worth a lot until you get to game seven, so that's the rub, right? But um, they're going right. to need, my, point, my long-winded point is they're going to need uh, the grade A Mark andre Fleury. So uh, Gallant Agreed. is going to have to... Do what he has to do to keep him fresh and ready to roll and get just enough games in to do that. So that's the well, balance one, uh, that's, that he yeah, has Yeah, one find. thing in Marc-Andre Fleury's uh, resume, if you will, um, he, knows, he knows what it takes to play a high number of games in a season. When you look at what he's done, he's played 67, and some, a lot of this is when he was a younger man, so the, the father time tells all, but 67, 62, 67, 65, 67, 64, 64 uh, games played per season. Now when Matt Murray came in, he went 58, 38, and then last season with the injury, 46. So he's no stranger to playing – uh, 60, 60 plus game seasons, uh, seven, eight times in his career. He knows what it takes to take care of himself. He knows what it takes to be prepared, get the rest when he needs to rest and, and still be able to you. perform at a high level. Um, I hear you, but he's, so, he's not 24 anymore. No, no. Uh, well, 2014, 15, um, I think they won the Stanley cup that year. He played 64 yeah. games. Um, so, you know, yeah, no, he's not like a spring said, chicken. He's, gonna, he's not a spring chicken, he's, he's, but he he's, does have that experience. Again, he's going to play 60 – let's face it. He's going to play – if he played half the remaining games, he's going to finish at 65 games, give or take. So he's probably yeah. going to finish at 65, 66. Let's just not go pedal to the metal with him um, because, like I said, they're going to need the grade A uh, flurry. So uh, uh, it will be an interesting trip to see. You know, like I'll keep my eye out on that kind of uh, – uh, 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 you know, uh, tempers uh, or a little mm-hmm. flare going into that Calgary matchup. To, yes, sir. To Circle the, the game. But, but uh, yeah, the Knights are they're in a good place. It's like I said at this point, uh, barring a collapse by San Jose or Calgary or really poor play last month, and the Knights go on just a ridiculous run. Uh, you know, they're, they're going to be that three seed. So it'll be interesting to see um, who they get. And uh, uh, again, uh, you know, it's going to be a t- uh, it's going to be, like, be a kind of a coin flip series, and uh, a lot will be on the line. Which sounds strange, right? A playoff series for a second year franchise, but after being in the Cup final last year, so. Um, well, they do have yeah, they do have two games, two games remaining against San Jose, um, both in San Jose. But if the Knights were to win those four point games, um, and 
the way they're playing right now and the competition that they have left, um, Edmonton, Arizona, L.A., Detroit, uh, Minnesota will be tough. St. Louis will be tough. Edmonton Colorado. and Arizona are nice. They are nice streaks, those two teams. Home games. Home going. games, though. So yeah. um, if San Jose slips and the Knights can get those two games out of San Jose, they, I think they still have a, an outside shot at, at chasing down San Jose for that number two spot. Um, two points, four points in the next two days will be important. And they do have a couple, you know, San Jose and Calgary have a couple games in hands on the night. So that's something that'll play into it as well. But I think they do have an outside shot at catching San Jose. Um, even so, even so it's a, uh, an important week, uh, weekend. They, they need four points out of these games. If, if they are entertaining the thought of finishing second in the division. So why don't we jump to around the league in a couple of spots. You know, it looks like we're on a collision course uh, for a Boston uh, rematch of Boston and Toronto in round one of the playoffs, which, quite honestly, um, uh, I mean, you know, it's a different debate, we, and it's, we could do a whole show on how the seeding should be done for the NHL playoffs. But currently constituted to get that kind of matchup in round one is uh, – you know, you could easily argue on some years with those quality of teams that could be an Eastern Conference final. So to get that kind of matchup in round one. And, um, you know, just to throw out a few things that you get your thoughts, get our thoughts on uh, a little preview of that uh, potential series. Obviously, Boston's on, uh, as Christopher Walken would say, on fire. Is the, fire. I, I don't think they've, they, they've gotten at least one point since, like, the calendar turned to February or something insane like that. It's, I think it's up to 18 games, somewhere along those lines. Um, second lowest uh, goals allowed at 2.45. Uh, and Toronto, I, I, uh, ironically, has got the third best offense at 3.60. So Boston is more team defense, middle of the pack of offense, 14th, where Toronto is third in offense and upper third in defense uh, at 11. Both have excellent power plays. Boston number three, Toronto number eight. Boston, uh, pretty good penalty killing at 11. Toronto, mm, penalty killing 19. So kind of circle that. Third best power play versus the 19th penalty kill. Um, and we know all the, the high-powered uh, offensive players Toronto has. But you know what? Mar- Marchant, Pasternak, Bergeron, Krejci, Krug, and DeBrusque, not too shabby either. And, you know, you know, obviously, Bergeron is a, uh, probably arguably the best two-way player in, uh, in the game. Marchinon is just a, an annoying pest to get under your skin. Little uh, ball of hate. Yeah. Pasternak <laughs> doesn't take a backseat to anyone in terms of offensive skill. And, J- and Jake DeBrusque has been uh, really coming along. And Krejci and Krug uh, – and nothing to sneeze at. So I think Boston's they're definitely deeper on the blue line. I personally would say they have an edging goal. At bare minimum, you, you, know, you want to call it a coin toss, okay? I would say I would take Tuka Rask uh, over Anderson. Rask has uh, won a Stanley Cup and has been more consistent in his career in the playoffs. So, uh, yeah, that's a, you know, like I said, I, one would expect that has an excellent chance to go to seven. And right now, Boston, I believe, has a four-point lead over Toronto, so they would have that game seven in their building right now. And I think Boston, Boston has been that's a pretty tough place to play. So, uh, yeah, I'm not going to make any predictions at this point in time. It's too silly because 
you never know with injuries and stuff like that what, what the matchup is going to look like. But based on the games played by Montreal and where they're at and where Tampa's at in the standings, I would say with probably about 98, 99% certainty, we'll get Boston and Toronto in the first round. Yeah, I think so. And, and another thing, recent playoff history goes against Toronto if that indeed becomes the matchup. Um, remember a few years ago, uh, Toronto had Boston on the ropes in the last four minutes, and and Boston scores what three cool. times in the in the last four minutes to come back in that in that game, um, and then last season uh, Boston wins the series. So if that's anything to to base it on, first of all, it'll be a great playoff series. I think I think Toronto is a little bit more mature; they've gone through a little bit more together. Um, but yeah. The, Toronto has, <laughs> excuse me, arguably the the most talented top six in the National Hockey League right now. Uh, Tampa Bay, right there in the in the in the discussion. But like you said, Boston, um, the, the their top line is as good as any top line in the National Hockey League. So, yeah, I I think out of, out of the possible first round series um, that seem to be shaping up, that's. That's one of the better for sure. Um, I, I think I, I kind of disagree with you on goal. I, I think Freddie Anderson's just, <clears throat> if you want to go goalie depth, uh, Boston has a lock if they need to go there. So that's kind of an edge. But I, I, I like Freddie Anderson. Um, the the depth on defense definitely goes to Boston. They At one point in time, I think they had for a week or so this season, they had all six starters out. And just just plugged in pieces and, and and kept right on rolling during that stretch. So um, if, if they're healthy on defense, uh, definite edge goes to uh, goes to Boston. Um, I, I, Muzzin has been a nice piece coming over. He's done well in Toronto, um, but just defensively. Um, defense wins championships, so maybe the edge to Boston right now. I know Toronto, Toronto Maple Leaf Nation doesn't doesn't want to hear that, um, but de- defense wins championships. Toronto's got to figure out a way to lock it down a little bit tighter and and take the goals against down a couple notches. But should be one of the better uh, second round series or first round series that we see lining up right now. The standings in the the East, um, the other division. Um, those are so fluid right now with uh, teams coming in and out of the wild card spots. Um, Pittsburgh has gone from out of the playoffs to they would be the New well, York Islanders. For, let's first. Say, yeah, let's save that for the overtime segment. I wanted to you want, jump okay. in. Let's jump in. Let's let's jump into the the West wild card race. We're gonna have Jamie Thomas in five minutes, and I can segue us into the West. We got Dallas at 75 with 70, 67 games played. Minnesota at 74 with 69 games played. We have Arizona at 71, three points behind Minnesota. So they're on the outside looking in. But they have two with games, games in hand. hand. Yes, sir. Yeah, and then you have Colorado at 70, but they just had a huge blow as they lost Gabriel Landeskog for mm-hmm. four to six weeks, which probably means the rest at bare minimum the regular season. So – yeah. Um, yeah. So that's uh, that is an interesting. You know, I I, I feel like Dallas is going to get home, but that 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 last spot. Um, and Edmonton's on a nice streak. Uh, they're at sixty-seven, but 
you know, they're going to have to keep really keep that up. Uh, it'll be interesting, uh, you know. Uh, I'd like to see my Yotes uh, somewhere, how, some way sneak into that spot. They're they're pushing. I think you you know it's been the story with Colorado is as that that first line goes, so goes the Avalanche and and Landeskog a huge blow. Um, I had to drop him on my fantasy team yesterday. Um, at, at, where's the scoring going to come from now? Um, that's they're so top heavy on where their offensive production comes from. It's going to be it's going to be tough for them already being. 68 games played and the teams around them except Minnesota having a game in hand it's going to be tough for them to go on and and move up to get that wild card number two wild card spot I think we both agreed uh last week talking about the, or the week before talking about the wild card spot in the west the Dallas we we both thought they were going to go ahead and get in um Blackhawks took two you know blows if you will to their playoff hopes losing uh, ugly game to the Kings. Uh, I, I, they had been one of the hottest teams in in the National Hockey League, winning ten of fourteen before this week. But it looks like they're going to be left out unless they can get super hot on the way in. They also have sixty seven games played, so tied with Arizona, but now six points back of your Yotes. Um, Although they, they're without Tarek Stefan, and they're not going to get him back until. I don't think if they're lucky, the end of March, but it's probably going to be even a little. I mean, it's probably going to be the playoffs if they make it. And I don't, you know, obviously, I don't know if they're going to make it. But uh, that's a, that's, a, a, bit of, that's bunch. a bit of a blow because. Yeah, I mean, they don't have they don't have a lot of scoring to say the least, or they don't score a lot of goals. But um, um, they, they they kill penalties tremendously. One of the best in the league, believe it or not. Getting good goaltending. Um, you know, they've done well in this homestand. So. Um, uh, like I said, I think it would be a, a, a fun story, if you will, and nothing against Minnesota. Um, but we'll see. You know, they have those games in hand. We'll see what they do with them. And um, uh, it should be, you know, I think it could come down to, be, I, if I was a betting man, I'd say it would come down to between Arizona and Minnesota for that last spot. Yeah, it sure looks that way, especially with the Landeskog loss. Um, I don't know. I said before that, that it's all well and good to uh, go on a run when you're when you're 20 points out of it, the way that the Coyotes finished last season. And I said, yeah, show me, show me those games in, in December that keep you from getting so far behind the eighth ball and then keep winning in, in March and April when it counts. And, and right now um, you got to tip your hat a little bit to them. They're, they're, they're certainly sticking in the race. I'll I'll give you that much, Chris. Yeah. And they have, uh, Coming up in the next week or two, they go east, and I think they go to Florida, and then they go to the East Coast for a four-game stint in a week. So that's going to be uh, circle the calendar there. That's going to be a pretty big, um, uh, pretty big uh, how they do in those games. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, still waiting for Jamie Thomas to join us. Uh, he's the host of Winnipeg Jets TV. You can follow him on Twitter at Jamie Thomas TV. We're going to be looking into the Winnipeg Jets season. We're going to try and cover uh, as much as we can. They, they've had an interesting season so far. Um, Patrick Laine not scoring at the same pace that he had a year ago. Um, it's a tough time in their last 15. We're going to see what's going into that. Coming off a big win last night, is that going to change their fortunes? 
going forward. Another big game tomorrow in Washington, D.C. How does that how does Jamie Thomas think that shapes up as a matchup for the Winnipeg Jets and his thoughts on the Western Conference playoff race? Um, what what do you think, Chris, out of those top five, just to kind of get into this a little bit before Jamie joins us? Um, it's going to be yeah, – Jamie's uh, – I just got a text from Jamie. He'll be calling in a couple of minutes. He's trying to get to a good spot in terms of making a call. Very good, very good. So let's – the the top five who who would you give an edge to and who don't you want to play um, in the playoffs out of those top five in the West? Oh boy, that's a good question. <laughs> I, I don't have. A, I gotta be honest with you. I don't have a great feel for it. I might be biased. I guess if I was a, you put a gun to my head, um, I might say Nashville because. They can they can play a lot of different ways and and they can play best suited for playoff hockey. They have two really good goalies. They're, they're probably the best on the blue line of the bunch. But I don't know. I, I really it's a total cop out. Uh, everyone you know uh, has been a little you know a little up and I mean a little up and down if you will. Um, but yet yet they all have really good records. So that really speaks to how good these teams are. So. Um, I, I don't have a great feel for it, to be honest with you. I, I'm gonna have I to don't think we have a dominant the team. Play- There's no Tampa in the Yeah, bunch. no. Well, right, except for Tampa. Right? <laughs> Put Tampa to the side, and I think we can we can say that about uh, a lot of different uh, a lot of different teams in the matchups come the playoff time. I think it's going to be pretty exciting. I think whoever Tampa plays in any round, they're going to be a, a considerable favorite, and rightfully so. Um, you know, most other series are going to be you know, very, very uh, close, especially once we get past the first round. So, you know, last year Winnipeg and Nashville won seven games. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember, the Sharks and Vegas, did they go six games they go seven games? I want to say they went six. Yeah, uh, no, no, one, no, one, no one against the Knights lasted as long as seven games, sir. <laughs> right, right. So I think they won six. So, um yeah, I mean, obviously Calgary, you got to worry a little bit about the goaltending. You got to until, like you say, you know, don't tell me. You got to show me. Um, uh, the Sharks have a really good record, but I just wish they were a little bit more consistent. I'm a big believer, in Martin Jones. Um, he needs. Yeah, to I don't. I don't. I, I think any. I'm curious once we have Jamie on, um, his take on that. But I really do feel like it is really a fifty-two a game of fifty-two pickup here. Well, let's bring Jamie Thomas in. He's the host of oh, the Winnipeg Jets TV and also the Ground Control Podcast. Jamie, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Hey, guys. How are you? Oh, we're doing good. We're doing good. We're looking at the top five here in the Western Conference. And my question to Chris, and I'll ask you, too, as as we get into this here. Out of the top five, we know it's going to be Nashville, Calgary, San Jose, Vegas, and Winnipeg um, as the favorites going into the West. Which team do you just not want to face going into the playoffs and and which team do you look at would be the toughest matchup for Winnipeg there in the first round? Well, I think with we kind of have to leave St. Louis in the conversation too, guys, because yes, the sir. way they've fought their way back into the playoff situation. So I would like to say it's only, I mean, from Winnipeg's perspective, you'd love to say that they only have to worry about Nashville, but St. Louis has uh, come up like gangbusters right now. They're getting great goaltending. And have always been a good hockey team, but Jake Allen has killed them the last few years 
in yep. terms of playoff success and regular season success. So now that they're getting good goaltending, it's changed a lot of things. And uh, they've been very patient there, and I think they did the right thing. Doug Armstrong, the general manager of the Blues, held firm, uh, didn't panic, and uh, it's turned out well for him. So uh, I think it is a six-team race now in, in the West um, for who's going to be in the Western Conference. But if, from a Winnipeg perspective, I think them and Nashville are fighting back and forth not to play St. Louis in the first round of the playoffs. Um, that would kind of be a matchup that they would like to avoid. Um, Winnipeg finished their season series with uh, St. Louis a lot earlier. Uh, that was back in December. They're done with them now in terms of the regular season series. So uh, to answer your question, certainly St. Louis would be somebody to avoid. I think Nashville brings out the best in Winnipeg. So if it ends up St. Louis ends up winning the Central Division, then I don't think the Jets are, 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 are fearing playing Nashville in the opening round of the playoffs. Let me bring in Chris, because I, I, I was following a train of thought there. Chris, uh, why don't you go ahead and jump yeah. in? Hey, Jamie, great to have you back on. Uh, so, from afar, Thanks, Jamie, you know, uh, um, uh, you know, going into the season, I felt like the Jets, uh, along with Tampa, were, you know, I think a lot of people predicted that as the Stanley Cup final. Um, mm-hmm. One of the in terms of talent, top to bottom. And from afar, following the Jets, even though they have a really good record, um, I just feel like, I don't want to say underachieved, but they haven't reached their potential. Uh, It's been a little too many starts and stops. I know they've had a couple injuries, especially losing Bufflin more than he's injured again for the second time this year. Mm -hmm. um, But, I mean, is that, would you say that's accurate or is that being, uh, having too high of expectations? Uh, there's there's a couple of things, reasons for where the Jets uh, have their level of inconsistency right now. And you mentioned one of them, having Dustin Bufflin in the lineup hasn't been hasn't served them well. They recently lost Josh Morrissey, who to me is the most underrated defenseman that they have on the roster and probably arguably their best defenseman. So uh, that's caused an issue. And one thing that's kind of not talked about enough is the Jets, before the trade deadline, were the youngest team in the National Hockey League. So what comes with youth, right, mistakes. Um, they're certainly not as good a defensive team as they were last year because they have a lot of younger players on the roster right now. Uh, Jack Rossovic's getting more playing time. So their bottom six isn't as experienced as it was last year. Losing Toby Enstrom was a big loss uh, for them in the offseason. So uh, when you lose four or five 30-year-olds off your roster, that changes things for you. You have a lot of guys that you have to indoctrinate into the system, although a lot of guys play for the Manitoba Moose and understand what the Jets do and what they want to do in terms of their their structure, but you still have to uh, do that. Um, so I think that level, the best part of it is for the Jets is they still remain in first place in the division, even though they haven't played consistent best hockey uh, that we, we have, you know, we're, I, I understand why the expectations are there because they were such a dominant team last year. Uh, and then it looked like they were taking that next, they're going to the next level. Uh, but I think youth plays a role in that and their defensive structure isn't as solid as it was last year because of the youth and the loss of Bufflin and now Josh Morrissey. You know, uh, leading up to, you know, when the trade deadline came and gone, Jamie, you know, we saw Mark mm-hmm. Stone go to the Vegas Golden Knights. And if you believe right. any of all the Twitter universe or the rumor boards, it seemed <laughs> like Winnipeg was the favorite to get Mark Stone and could be, you know, adding him to that lineup. Uh, instead, uh, Kevin Sheveldayoff uh, made an interesting choice. He, he protected – if you will. I mean, he gave up a first-round pick, but he protected yeah. his primo assets in the system 
and chose Kevin Hayes, who I know well over here in New York, uh, instead of yeah. Mark Stone. Um, if there was a time for Winnipeg to kind of go for go for the brass ring, now would have been the time. What do mm-hmm. you think of that choice, uh, going opting uh, for Hayes versus Stone? Uh, well, I, here's the thing. Um, they have a lot of strength up on the wing. Yes, Mark Stone would be tremendous. But here's the thing, guys. I don't think Mark Stone – there's probably a sign-and-trade aspect, which Vegas now knows, right? You you make that deal. I don't think Winnipeg was in a place – no, I know the Jets were not in a place to be able to start sign Mark Stone to an extension because of who they have to sign in the offseason. You have to sign Kyle Connor, who looks well on his way to scoring at least 35 goals this year. You have to sign Patrick Laine. Uh, that's not going to be cheap, regardless of how he's playing right now or how he's had uh, what type of season he's had. It's still not going to be cheap. Jacob Truba is an option. Uh, Tyler Myers is an unrestricted free agent in the offseason. So the money was not there for them to sign or to trade for and bring in Mark Stone and then at the same time give up top prospects. They are really high on Sammy Niku for a good reason. Seventh-round draft pick, but was the American Hockey League's top defenseman last year and keeps getting better. If you watch him night after night, Sammy Niku is becoming a much better uh, NHL defenseman. So so much so that uh, Pascal Vincent admitted the other day that Sammy Niku is not going back to the American Hockey League this year. So what does that say to you? You're invested in Sammy Niku. You don't want to give up a Jack Roslovic because that looks to be your number two center down the road here for this hockey club. With, with regards to Kevin Hayes, you get a lot bigger up the middle, and as Paul Maurice calls it, you become a much bigger hockey club when you get a bigger center. So and he's, he's very good on the defensive side of things. Uh, he takes off a lot of minutes for Mark Shifley, which is important because Shifley was up averaging over 24 minutes uh, for a big chunk of the season, so that doesn't bode well for you when you get to the postseason. So I like the move. Uh, as sexy as it would have been to add a Winnipeg kid to the roster for the playoffs, uh, I just don't think Kevin Sheveldayoff and the Jets were willing to sacrifice that much of the future and the financial commitment you would have to give Mark Stone to bring him to Winnipeg. Well, you mentioned Patrick yeah, Wine, and I wanted to go ahead, Mark. And I wanted to talk a little bit about that. It's certainly, uh, <coughs> excuse me, a good problem to have when the 21-year-old kid is being talked about struggling when he's gonna, he's got 29 goals now. He's definitely going to get yeah. 30 to 35 goals on the season. And people are talking about him yeah. having an off year. I think you put a measuring stick on a 21-year-old kid who had 44 goals last season. Um, is there mm. really that much off on Patrick Line? Or are we just, just a, a whisker away from being in the 35 to 40 goal range again? Uh, well, here's the thing. Uh, Todd Woodcroft, one of the assistant coaches from the Jets, said to me, he goes, Patrick Lane is a 20-year-old kid that people want to think he should be playing like he's 26 years old. So right. it's – Paul Maurice also touched on the fact that a lot of – kids that come to the NHL now, if they make it, they have one unique skill that can help them survive in the NHL. And what is Patrick Lane's unique skill? His shot. So he, uh, he scored goals in abundance in the earlier part. Now plate teams are defending him differently. Now he has to change his game. He realizes he can't just survive on his shot alone. So he's, he's learning the defensive side of things. He's becoming more defensively responsible in his own end, uh, becoming a more all-around player. Paul Murray sees him becoming more of a power forward as he gets bigger and stronger. He, again, only 20 years old. So he's learning the other part of the game. Uh, we are picking at him because he had such an incredible November uh, when he scored 18 goals, had that five-goal game against the uh, 
the St. Louis Blues, and we expect more. We expect something to happen every time Patrick Laine touches the puck. We've been spoiled over the last two and a half years of his NHL career. So uh, now that he's on the top line with Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler, there's a more uh, defensive responsibility because Shifley's line goes up against the other team's best most nights. So he's got to get better in that aspect. But uh, there are some people talking about how they should trade him, send him to the minors. If you guys recall (laughs) Brett Hall playing with the, the Calgary Flames, what happened there? They traded him away, Rob Ramage and Rick Walmsley, to help them out in their playoff drive. Yes, they won the Stanley Cup, but what did Brett Hall do? He went on to score 700 goals. Do you, yeah. Is Patrick Leiter going to score 700 goals? That's Maybe not, but the potential is there for 600 at least. You don't give up guys like that, and you better, you're not going to get the return talk. that you need to give up on a player. Yeah, exactly. That's so silly talk. I understand people panicking. It's, it's nuts. It's nuts to think that anybody would give up on something like that because once he figures it out, the whole aspect of playing in the NHL, the 50 goal seasons are going to become a reality and they're going to become consistent. He's, is the Alex Ovechkin? Completely not a fair comparison because Ovechkin's a completely different player, but they have similar traits. But once he figures it out, and you know the coaching staff's on his side by seeing him play with Shifley and Wheeler, this is going to be okay, and uh, he's starting to score goals again. He's starting to get opportunities again, and then the light will come on, and then we'll all be laughing about what we were talking about uh, at this moment. I got one more for you, Jamie, before I let Mark finish up with you, and that's uh, yeah, kind of sure. Hullabuck. Uh, Hullabuck yep. last year, arguably in the, in the regular season, uh, one of the best goalies in the league by far. I mean, his numbers were yes. off the charts. Yeah. Goals against. Yeah, it wasn't even close last year. Yeah. 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 I mean, his win loss record was ridiculous. Uh, this year, you know, 299 goals against, not .910, kind of ordinary save percentage. Yeah. I, I'm not yeah. asking him to, a bit unfair probably to ask him to duplicate last year, but is there a little mm. bit of concern with his play? I mean, let's face it, they're going to need the grade A Hellebuck. Uh, for Winnipeg to get to the Stanley Cup final, like you said, let's say they don't win the yeah. division. Their road could be mm-hmm. St. Louis, Nashville, and then take your pick of San Jose, Vegas, or um, Calgary, and then probably right. camp in the final. So, you know, they're going to need yeah. a great A uh, Hellebuck. Right. Uh, here, here's another thing. With, the, with Connor Hellebuck, uh, the one thing I've learned, especially learning a little bit about analytics, if you, you know, give up two or three more goals, your save percentage doesn't look as good as it did the year before. I found that very interesting. Also, the opportunities the Jets are giving up this year are more of the grade A variety. He's being asked to make a lot of big saves. Um, Is he, you know, giving up three goals in the game far too often? Probably at this point, but he's been adamant about pointing out to us that he's wanting to peak at the right time. We've seen flashes of Connor Hellebuck from last year but I think a lot of the issues tie into the opportunities that are being given up. And we've kind of put unfair expectations on Connor Hellebuck to be last year's uh, Vesna trophy finalist. So he is looking to me in my perspective and my opinion, a lot better than he was say back in October, November. So that, that bodes well for the jets, but they gotta, they gotta work a lot harder on not giving up those slot opportunities. Uh, their penalty killing hasn't been as sharp as it has been in years uh, last year, especially um, and I think it's it's starting to round into form as well. So they have a very challenging schedule in March and certainly in April. And again, as I mentioned to you guys, you know Nashville kind of brings out the best of them. Well, I think top quality opposition brings out the best news as well. And sure, they fell five two in uh, Tampa the other night, but they had no Adam Lowry, they had no Dustin Bufflin, and no Josh Morrissey. So you have an extremely shorthanded team going up against the best team by far in the National Hockey League. So. Uh, they they are heading in the right directions in a lot of aspects. 
I think we got it spoiled last year because Connor Hellebuck was so lights out and so were the Jets. But, uh, again, as I started off answering about, when the opportunities, again, start becoming more frequent, your goaltender is going to have a, a more uh, – his goals, goals against average is going to bulge up, and so is that save percentage is going to drop at the same time. Well, one, one thing, and, and I, I just want to say that, that anyone saying trade Patrick Line, there's, there's every other team in the National <laughs> well, Hockey League would say, okay. But that's kind of the sign of the time yeah, sure, that please. we live in. People's, uh, people's yeah. attention span and expectations only go as far as their Twitter feed. All you got to do is watch. Look at Twitter for I, five seconds, and you absolutely. watch any game. like the, the, the emotional levels of fans – going up and down by a second is crazy. And yes, you know, I, I, as a young man, I used to lose my marbles when my team lost, but now when you cover a team daily, you start to realize when you watch how players handle things, they take losses realizing that was just one that's going on to the next game. And then you look at them and you laugh, but I'm like, they start to realize each game is uh, an entity into itself. And it's not a, what your team is or what it is, is about. So uh, there's a lot of ups and downs in an NHL season, and then fans have to start to realize that. Yeah, it reminds me of a scene in the movie Fever Pitch where uh, the, the Red Sox had lost a playoff game, and they're in the restaurant, yeah, and they yeah, look yeah. over, and there's Johnny Damon. How dare they go out to yeah. eat dinner after yeah. a playoff loss? I'm, I'm dying here. It, yeah, I know. Exactly. Yeah. That is fandom in, in itself, and it, that's a perfect analogy of how things really are for players because they're in it every single day. Whereas you and I look at it as by the minute when we're watching a game, players live and breathe that all day long. And they realize that they, if they get as mad as we do as fans or media members, uh, you're not going to make it through a season. No, you're going to burn out mentally in the first couple of weeks. If you're injured, yeah. like, like the rest of us Correct. are, but they, they now that being yeah. said, the jets, their last 15 games, they're five, eight and two. Um, Struggling mm-hmm. a little bit, uh, still f- managing first place in the division, game in hand, mm-hmm. um, with all that in perspective. Coming off last night's win, big win in Carolina, eight to one. What kind of momentum can that team take? Another big test tomorrow in Washington D.C. Kind of preview that game for mm-hmm. us and how they can build the, on the momentum that uh, a win like last night on the road can can do for this group. Well, just as as you when you come off a loss the way you did in Tampa it just shows how quickly they forgot about that one and moved on and and although the the domination wasn't there they just took advantage of glorious opportunities the goals they scored yesterday were high slot near slot goals right so they were getting in position and making the plays to make sure those things happen i think we saw a good dose of of Kevin Hayes playmaking ability yesterday so if he gets more comfortable that's going to help the only thing you get into, and this is the same every time, it doesn't matter what team it is, when you play the Washington Capitals, don't take penalties. Don't get yourself in that type of situation where you're going to have to face Ovechkin, uh, Oshie, et cetera, Carlson on the power play. Uh, don't get yourself in those types of situations. So uh, we'll see. This has been a very generous road trip, guys, because you usually have those you know, two games and three nights. Uh, they've had a lot of days off in between games. They have, they're practicing today, uh, which will probably be an optional skate when I think about it. And then they're going to play tomorrow. So it's been a very generous road trip in terms of uh, fatigue levels. Uh, so I expect them to be at their best tomorrow in Washington. And then you build off that. You come home and you you, you got some challenging games uh, with the San Jose Sharks in on Tuesday uh, at Bell MTS Place. So it just it's one playoff team after another this month. And uh, I, I expect them to be at their best as they, as they get back. And uh, I they were a very good hockey team in March last year. 
an excellent team in April, and as you saw the results until they met right into Vegas in May. Um, so I think there's just one building block after another, and I expect the Jets to get back to that premium level that be at to be at their best for the playoffs. I expect that too. And one thing you don't have to tell Vegas fan is don't give the Capitals power plays. We we yeah. we we, well. we know all about that. Um, yeah. Well. Well. Anyway. Yeah. Th- thanks. Uh, thanks for jumping in. Do us a favor against San Jose next week. Uh, we, we'd really appreciate the help there. As, they well, got to, as well as as well as Washington tomorrow. I'm out here in Long Island. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no problems, guys. I'll I'll make sure the boys hear everything. <laughs> there you go, there you go. Well, you, I know I noticed now that uh, you're in the Ground Control podcast. Where can they Where can they get your podcast, and where can they get you on Twitter? Uh, just go to at Jamie Thomas TV for Twitter, and then also the Ground Control podcast. Just go to WinnipegJets.com. It's on there, and also if you download, you can download it off Apple as well. So it's. Uh, I was fortunate to have Keith Kachuk, uh, Winnipeg Jets 1.0, one of their former captains on the show, and he just mm-hmm. he was great, man. He talked about uh, the difference between you know being in the draft now, and then he went through the process with both of his sons, and then he speaks highly of his daughter. He's just he was a great guest, so I, I invite you to download that podcast when you can. Oh, I definitely, definitely will, definitely will. There's going to be keep your eye on that Calgary game tomorrow night if we're talking about the Kachuk one. Yeah, uh, there is an interesting yeah. uh, situation at the end of the second period Wednesday night, and I think there's going to be a, a, as they say, a few more messages sent for the playoffs come Sunday night. I think that's going to yeah, be a very interesting yeah. game to watch. Enjoy, boys. Well, all right, thank you so much, and we'll talk to you again down the road. Thanks. Thanks, Jamie. All right, Jamie Thomas. Jamie Thomas was winning. Yeah, great, always great, always, always great having him on. And this is good. You know, it's going to be interesting because the Jets. Uh, I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves because it's about the here and now. But you know, they got a they got a tricky offseason coming up. I mean, Tyler Myers is a UFA. Truba is uh, going to be an RFA, one year away from free agency. Um, we've known how, we all known how the, all those his negotiations have gone. And odds are him and his agent are going to go to arbitration. Uh, so, uh, I mean, there's a good chance that, they, that he's going to be moved because uh, they're not going to have him walk out the door for nothing. Um, so you got the Trooper situation. You have Myers, Lainey's an RFA, as is Kyle Connor. How do they handle those situations? Do they go bridge deal? Do they go long term? Um, what are the you know obviously those contracts uh, for the top young players after the entry level have you know, not been easy for any of these teams in the league. So, and believe it or not, the Jets, as I pull it up here, I believe they already have $55 million committed to the cap next year. Um, so it, it's a, it's going to be a tricky off season, but you know, that will, we'll, we'll kick that down the road for another day. But, uh, you know, for the here and now, um, yeah, Winnipeg, uh, uh, you know they they want to they want to reach ex- expectations uh, this this season. Yeah, for sure. And and I think what he said um, about being able to get Mark Stone was a reflection on. You know, we talked about giving up assets for the Vegas Golden Knights last year and a half, but he, he's he George McPhee's done a really good job at keeping assets as well when when you have the ability and you've managed your cap space re-signing your top line for five years at about five million per uh getting the cost certainty on defense with schmidt McNabb uh being re-upped theodore as well long term alex tuck long term um at, at 
I, I won't say taking a discount or a haircut or however you want to phrase it, but definitely equitable contracts for both sides. Um, so a couple of those with Tuck and Theodore look to be bargains as if those players mature to the kind of players they think they are. And also maintaining that, that, that cap space that enabled him to go ahead and, and make a deal to bring in a player like Mark Stone, knowing that uh, a rental option the cost that they were asking for that was, was off the charts. So being able to re-sign him and lock him up for the eight years, um, having that cap space and that flexibility is probably um, the main reason he was able to make that deal. And so far um, it, the re- the return has been good. And as he's only 26, um, when you look at him with Ottawa, he was sort of the leader on the club um, with some of the other players that got moved out. But on this, he's playing with, uh, Two thirty somethings in Pacioretty and Stastny, so he doesn't have to be that that player, um, and he can grow with the young guys on this team as well. So, I, I think George McPhee, what Jamie said about Winnipeg not being in position to make that deal and settling for Kevin Hayes, uh, is kind of a feather in in George McPhee's cap. Yeah, well, they, you know, both teams are at different times and different places. They have different rosters, different situations. You know, I mean. I think every team in the league would kill to have a line A and a Kyle Connor uh, on their roster, but it just so happens that both are, uh, you know, coming up uh, off their entry-level contracts. So, they, you know, their roster is structured differently. Obviously, Vegas is only being their second year in, uh, in, in the league, if you uh, as such. Um, uh, but, you know, I think Winnipeg was in it uh, strongly, but, you know, again, they looked at Mark Stone, given their situation, as purely a rental. So you know, there's there's only there's only so much uh, so much uh, chips you're going to give up, you know, for a rental. So, um, but uh, but anywho, uh, why don't we jump into the overtime segment and uh, you know let's jump into uh, what's going on in the Metro uh, race. And basically, the best way I can describe this in terms of the Metro race and the Montreal Canadiens is we got a game of musical chairs going on here. Uh, I'm going to put Philly aside for the moment, although if they continue to play uh, like they have been, it's not out of the question they could be in the mix, but for the moment, I'm going to put them aside. They're five points behind Columbus uh, with 72 points. Right now, it's looking like down the the last month of the season, we have five playoff chairs and we have six teams. The Capitals, the Islanders, the Penguins, the Kings, uh, the Habs, and and the Jackets. One of those teams, which is a good team, is gonna is gonna be without a chair and not making the playoffs. And we're gonna you know go back to Columbus here. Uh, this is a very very critical time. Um, they currently going into today's action find themselves out of the playoffs, two points behind Montreal. Now they do have two games in hand on Montreal, uh, but they've lost uh, three out of their last four. Uh, they did beat the Devils on the road, but. They had a rough loss last Saturday afternoon against Edmonton at home. Then they lost to Winnipeg uh, at home. And then they lost uh, in Pittsburgh the other night, which they never seemed to beat. Um, and now you look at their schedule uh, the next the next couple of weeks. They got Pittsburgh at home tonight. Monday they're at the Islanders. Tuesday, so back-to-back there, home to Boston. Then Friday, home to Carolina. Saturday, another back-to-back at Boston. And then they head out to Western Canada and do the three-game trip out there, Calgary, Edmonton, and Vancouver. And then when the dust after that, you could just draw a line and they'll have seven games left. 
So, you know, this is a very critical time for the Jackets. Uh, obviously, they've invested a lot into the season. And, you know, the next, you know, 10 days or so, 10 days to two weeks, I'll be curious to see where the Jackets are at. They have a lot riding on uh, this season. So uh, that's kind of where we're at in the West. What are your thoughts about it, Mark? Uh, well, I'm looking. The the the. I think Carey Price plays enough to get Montreal one of the wild card spots. So, I, I think Pittsburgh's going to get in. They're too experienced. They know how to win games going down the stretch. Big big three nothing win against Columbus earlier in the week. They have them again. Um, it's Columbus's Achilles heel. So, um. I'm looking at Carolina's schedule right now, and they have eight home games left out of 14 games, 13 games. Uh, and, I think they have. Um, I think they're at uh, 15 games. Okay, so, so Na- Nashville, uh, Nashville today is on the road, and then they got Colorado three days off, and Columbus, and then they're home for five in a row. In those five is Buffalo, Pittsburgh, Tampa Bay, Minnesota, and Montreal. Um, that that, and then on the road at Washington, and then home for two more. Carolina's story is going to be written in the next week. That they've had a great year. A lot of people had them right on the uh, right on the bubble there. Um, preseason prognostication, if you will. Um, I, you know how I feel about what Columbus did. I think it's ridiculous. I think I'm going to say Carolina gets the spot. Columbus misses the playoffs. I like Carolina's schedule. There's a lot of energy on that team. I think they're excited to be going out playing hockey at this time of year with meaningful games. Um, they haven't done that in Carolina in a while. I think there's – here's something that I haven't heard too many people talk about with Columbus. Going all in in the front office like that and bring – puts a lot of pressure on the players on the ice to perform and achieve that. And they have – out of the the teams left, they have the the toughest schedule, obviously, by far, just with back-to-back and travel and everything else. Um, Each each time that – the teams ahead of them and around them win puts a little bit more pressure on, on them to try and maintain pace. And I know Bobrovsky's a great goaltender, but there's been times in his career where he has, you know, not played well under that kind of pressure. Let's face it. And uh, Shiger told us that he's playoff games. He's never allowed fewer than three goals. And that's the, the most, obviously the most pressure atmosphere that there is. Um, never backstopped his team to a playoff win, even with two Vezina trophies. So the, the the longer they go on the bubble outside looking in, I think the harder it gets for them to make that playoff run. And I think Carolina is like you know playing with house money. They're free and easy. The loss to Winnipeg, they caught an angry Winnipeg Jets team last night. <coughs> but um, – I think, I think the rest of the way Carolina gets to gets to play easy, free and easy hockey, and and the, the, every game that goes by that Columbus struggles, I think it becomes more of a struggle 
to to just play the game and not the expectations weigh on you. So for me, I'm I'm going to say Pittsburgh, Carolina, and Montreal get in, and Columbus is on the outside looking in. Yeah, and, and to bring up a point um, uh, mentioned before, uh, talking about um, where Vegas is at and, and the luxury of, you know, not having, you know, every game being like almost like a game seven mentality. And, you know, it's very hard getting situated with a new team in a new city. I mean, you're living out of a hotel and things of that nature. Well, the con- it's the converse for the Jackets, right? So you got these new guys, I mean, super talented in Duchesne and Zingle and, and so forth. But, you know, that, that's, that's you know, asking someone to hit the ground running like that, it, it's not easy. And, you know, uh, to a bigger point, maybe why uh, people were saying at the trade deadline, well, when's the last time, you know, a, a team went, you know, all in uh, uh, like, like they did, uh and and have it, you know, win the cup or get really far. You know, we've seen these kind of big moves, and it, it doesn't seem to happen in, in, in recent in recent memory. So that's something, you know, something to think about and uh, reasons for it, to say the least. But um, um, yeah, I, I'm, uh, you know, again at the end of the day, they do have, you know, again they, they are on the outside looking in, but they do have two games in hand. On Montreal, and they do have a very large uh, tiebreaker uh, over them. I think their ROW is like 36, and Montreal's around 30. So that's not they're not going to catch up there. Um, so we'll see. But this is 30, you know, 36 to 34. Day. Montreal's oh, got okay. 34. Columbus got 36. Some, not that not that far apart. Oh, okay. I was going to somebody else. Then. Good catch. Um, Philly has so, 30. Oh, that's where I got confused. Okay. So any any hoot. Uh, but having said all that, that's a tough schedule I just mentioned. And, yeah. you know, playing 500 hockey for any of these teams isn't going to do it. And, um, you know, we, we, we will see, uh, you know, uh, how it plays out. But there's a lot there's a lot riding, uh, a lot on the line for Columbus, to say the least. Sheesh. You're telling me. I don't uh... – Yeah, so we'll see. The other thing, too, and, and let's face it, when you're playing on a on – a team that's in last place and has been and you 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 know you're you're probably on the way out with the Deshane Stones the Zingle um you've seen Carlson and Hoffman leave you're in last place it's late January you're not playing at the same competitive level whether whether you you know you're not consciously tanking it but you're not playing at the same competitive level as a team that's uh, in a wild card spot or trying to get one well into February and early March. And to pull them out of that environment and instantly expect them to come in and, and ramp their game ups to the competitive level required in the situation that they find themselves in while being in a hotel room, while getting used to, a new city while being put under the pressure of we got you to go win now. Um, that's a tough ask for Duchesne and Zingle. And, and I, I'm not saying they're playing bad, but it, it, like you said, very rarely does a team, excuse me, make that many, many changes at the trade deadline. And then 
go ahead and form that cohesive chemistry that's required of uh, a, a 20-man group to be successful. And I'm not I. I'm not convinced that this is going to happen in Columbus. Yeah, I mean, like I said, that's, you know, I mean, somebody pretty good, you know, all those teams, I think, are worthy playoff teams, but at the end of the day, someone's not going to make it. And, you know, look, I mean, um, you know, even a team like the Islanders, I mean, they're not out of the woods yet either. They're only a few points up on uh, on the other teams. Now, they have a bit, a little bit of a cushion. But uh, and they just went through a, a kind of a hellish schedule themselves. But um, you know, and, and none of these games are easy. I mean, I can tell you from the Islanders' perspective this week. I mean, uh, Ottawa played them hard. You know, the, even these teams out of the playoffs, they're going to be playing a lot of young players. People trying to keep their jobs uh, on the on the team to show the management they're part of the core moving forward. Young players trying to show that they're ready for the NHL. So uh, there are no easy games uh, this time of year. No, sir. No, sir. Not at all. Well, what do we have on tap for next week, Chris? Next week, we're going to have, interesting enough, I think, uh, we're going to have a Florida Panthers guest. So uh, somebody, uh, a uh, uh, a cousin, if you will, of the fan-sided site, uh, Rink Rats down in Florida will be joining us. And I think they're an interesting team to talk about a little bit. Obviously, they're not really in the playoff picture unless they went on a ridiculous run. I think they were at 70 points after last night's win. But you know, what has gone, what, what's kind of gone wrong for them? Why aren't they have a better record than they, than they do? Which is, you know, there's been a lot of talk about what they're going to, they're going to have this huge off season. So, um, yeah, I think it's a good time to, to touch base and talk Florida Panther hockey. So we'll do that next week. Well, I'll tell you what's wrong with Florida. They fired Gerard Gallant. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. that's number one. And, question and they, one. yeah, question one, how does that look? Um, no, I, I, and, and I've said on the show before that, that Florida, I think Florida has all the pieces. I think that there's whatever it is that's missing. Maybe that he will be able to give us some insight on what it is. There's, there's an intangible, um, and I know Trocek was having a great season and they lost him for a, a, a huge point that probably impacted where they are in the standings. But even, even so, um, with Gallant, they had it. You saw him in the playoffs. Um, fantastic series. Great hockey club. Set a team record in points without Jar Gallant. Haven't been back to the playoffs since. So, um, it, it, I think that'll be a great conversation. It's a good get by you to bring him on in, sir. Yeah, yeah. It should be. They're definitely an interesting uh, team to discuss, both for now and and uh, and then moving forward. Yes, sir. Well, thanks to Jamie Thomas for joining us. Uh, you can catch us on Apple Apple Podcasts and everywhere your podcast catches are. Go to Blog Talk Radio. Uh, all our show, shows are archived there as well as Apple Podcasts. Uh, follow Jamie Thomas on Twitter at Jamie Thomas TV, and make sure you check out his podcast Ground Control with uh, Kachuk there. That that ought to be a great conversation to get into with him. Um, I'm definitely going to download that and, and have a listen myself. Uh, we'll be back next week. Talk some Florida Panthers hockey uh, and and round up the Vegas Golden Knights strange road trip and keep an eye out on Sunday night. I think that's going to be a very physical hockey game. So for this week, for Chris, I'm Mark, and we're gone.